With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're talking about the, you know, quarterback, about Derek Carr, about, you know, Antonio Brown. I mean, this past season, you look at um, this past offseason, you look at who uh, Oakland has brought in, who the Raiders have brought in. They brought in Luke Wilson, one of the top receivers in the AAF. I mean, who's mostly going to play special teams, Darian Johnson, I believe is his name. And then um, you bring in, of course, Jalen Marshall for a day, then you release to the next. And then, you know, you sign all these uh, Brian Burtz um, as your, you know, um, you know, as a, another wide receiver, Brian Burt, yeah. And then um, you signing all these wide receivers. I mean, they're just trying to shore up that in order for, you know, to further help the offense, further help car out, you know, ease up the pressure on the passing game, I believe, and add that depth that team needs because, you know, a player or two, you can speak in this too, that a player or two, um, you know, will go down every year. That's, that's, that's like a law in the NFL. And, you know, and you need that depth in order to really sustain a run, sustain a season, because you can't just lean on one or two guys. You need to lean on be able to lean on all of you guys. To the two deep, to the three deep, you need to lean on all those guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then this is the stuff hopefully we see through preseason pretty early on who looks like they're emerging um, and and they get an idea of what they can do. Uh, for the other guys that they pulled in, this is a good situation for some of those young guys, right? Because when you're with an Antonio Brown type player, same way it's like being with a Randy Moss or a Jerry Rice or Michael Irvin. These are guys that are going to automatically get the double team, right? The uh, the Julio Joneses, you know. So the, these guys now change the way that your matchups are on offense. They change the way that your learning curve has to be because you have more room to work with because they have to respect that alpha guy on that other side of the field or that guy that's lined up outside of you. So now what the coverage does, what the defense likes to do, what they're going to jump and try to take away opens up a lot more gaps for you to be able to come along pretty quickly. Um, and that is, that is, as long as the guys are smart players, this, the thing with recruiting system is, is you seem to have to be a football knowledgeable type guy, not just an athlete. So as long as they're pretty smart on the field, which we should be able to definitely see and find out pretty early on in preseason, then like I said, I, I think it's going to be just a massive change. And that's the thing sometimes with having a smarter system going on is that first year it takes people a little bit longer to adjust. Sometimes when you have a simplified system, you get easy short-term results, but in the long run, it doesn't always work out in the way that people would like it to. When you have a little bit more complicated system, 
short term wise it might not start off looking how it's supposed to but once everyone starts to click and it gets in place that's when it becomes that juggernaut type of system yeah because our players need to learn the system and by having a season under the belt that experience is only going to help them for further in the other seasons because they know what they excel at they know what they can work on and then you can sprinkle in the other guys you know to learn the system while some guys are more experienced like Antonio Brown being more experienced, of course, being a veteran. Carr is has a season under his belt with John Gruden, you know, being having championship caliber um wide receivers, wide receiver like Hunter Renfro. You, you know these guys, you know, you know what system they learned under, and having them in one system, as you said, a perfect situation. Because the coverage is going to more or less go after Antonio Brown because. You know, the alpha dog, the alpha male, who's going to, you know, take the coverage and he's going to get double teamed while there's going to be a guy who's left open or a guy who's more open than the others. And that's going to give them the opportunity to shine, going to give them the opportunity to make the plays. And, you know, finding the depth is good because, you know, I mean, bringing in all these guys, I believe they brought in like five, uh, wide series tight ends in the off season. Bring in these guys, you know, you're going. One of them is going to work out, and you're going to have. One of them is probably, probably, going to work out, and you know, they're only going to help the offense spread the ball a little more, and they're going. You're going to find one guy who's going to be like you know the Wes Welker type, the um, Jordan Edelman type. You know, who's going to sign in a situation where, you know, they're not the most focused on receiver because during Elvin, of course, he was focused on, but, you know, they also Rob Mikowski up in New England. But, you know, with this situation in, uh, with the Raiders, you know, it's going to open up the field for other players to make plays to give them the opportunity to shine and to show their talent. And then, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's really going to help out the team and, you know, the future. But, I mean, Jalen Marshall, of course, bring him in for a day, uh, you know, then really see him the next. I mean, you coach football. I mean, how, I mean, what, why do you do that sort of thing in order to, um, bring in a player and release to the next. Why do you, why would you do that? I mean, you know, to the average fan, it can seem all pointless, but, you know, why don't you, can you elaborate on that? Um, it's just fit. It, it really just comes down to fit. So it might be something that you've seen on film or something that you've seen while, while he was in the, in the AAF that might have said, hey, this guy here. Um, but sometimes even the, like, the, the thing with evaluating him at some point is is uh, sometimes evaluating the talent across them. So, uh, and, and I give an equivalent kind of like a street race, right? So we all drive cars cars down the street at 100 miles an hour. You're like, wow, those cars are fast, right? And it's just like, because the average rate on, on the street is going to be, you know, maybe on the freeway, let's say 65 miles an hour, someone's flying 100. You're thinking they're just moving. But you move those same cars into a NASCAR track with the average speed of 105 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. So 
that's the part in film sometimes where it's hard to equivocate how good someone is. They might still get a, a competition to playing against. And so then sometimes you're like, this guy's a dude. You get him live in front of you. He might not stack up against the people getting in camp. Kind of like the guy brought in and cut that quick. Um, there must have been something, like I said, either the talent wasn't quite what it looked like or watching him play out there, or he just might not have been a fit, right? Because this is what we're talking about with, like, a um, John Gruden system where you have to become a smarter player, and you might be a player that was just living off a of certain athletic ability and doing a couple of that fit system that he was, he can't quite grasp some of the content. Gruden and then Mike. And sometimes people are like, can you find that out? Some stuff out in the day. <laughs> better than people actually see at that level. So, um, yeah, like I said, most of you had to do, but some, for some reason, he wasn't a fit with what, what yeah and then um Kyle Rudolph you know one of the standouts in Minnesota is like you know on the train block because deals have broken down and I know our own Joe Rigo has you know spoke about a couple weeks ago saying hey the Raiders you know and Rudolph you know you might want to look into that because, you know, it's, you know, Rudolph is one of the better tight ends in the league in a perfect passing offense in Minnesota with, you know, Kirk Cousins. I mean, looking from my vantage point, that just further opens the offense, gives it another weapon, almost like I brought up earlier, Julian Edelman and Rob Kowski in New England. I mean, you know, what to think about what that, could do in Oakland with the Raiders, uh, and then next year in Las Vegas. I mean, they sort of, after losing Jared Cook in off season, you know, then with Kyle Rudolph, you know, if if, I mean, of course I'm speculating here, but uh, with Kyle Rudolph, um, if he came in, you know, that could really like open the offense and really create that one-two punch that the Raiders. Are look and John Gruden and company are looking for, you know, in in their offense because, you know, we all know an offense needs a good tight end and needs a good all around tight end in order to further open the offense because yeah. you need you need a dog at the what tight end position. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know that comes in football. Yeah, well, I mean, even looking at the way that the Raiders ran the offense last year. Yeah. Um, Jared Cook was a leading receiver last year. <laughs> so he had, he had CTA so uh, a lot of that happened to go through the tight end is the way that the system was kind of set up last year. So because you do lose Jared Cook, you need to have someone that's at least an equivalent talent to come back in. So if you can get somebody uh, like, like, who, <laughs> like, like the guy from, from Minnesota, it absolutely makes a lot of sense because now you do have that weapon on the outside. And so a lot of people forget that not just having the big plays, but just being able to move the chains matters a lot. And a lot of tight end guys end up being guys that are chain movers. You drive a lot. If you get another three downs, that means you have another shot to go downfield. That means you have another shot to make a big play happen. That's another shot for someone like Antonio Brown to break a big play and, and help us get into the end zone. So because there were so many catches from Jared Cook last year, definitely need a quality guy to be able to come in and replace that. Absolutely do I think they should make that move. 100%. They should make that move, pick that up, make it happen. I mean, you know, I mean, 
who else do they have as a, a target? I mean, of course they have Luke Wilson, but in my opinion, he and throughout his career, he's been more of you know a nice little uh, blocking receiving tight end, but he's more of like a backup, main backup tight end as compared to a starter. Whereas Kyle Rudolph can take the offense and sort of you know run with it, and you know he's another veteran as we talked about earlier that could further help Gruden in his system revolve around the veterans, go into, you know, the playoffs with, and, you know, add that extra needed weapon that the Raiders need in order to, you know, open the running lanes, open, you know, the passing game, that, you know, Carr, now he has two people who he knows he can rely on, and, you know, just further help him improve, further show that he's a top quarterback in the league, and further, you know, have, you know, A.B. Uh, ex- sort of, you know, of course, A.B. is going to be out there making plays, but, you know, he's going to further help A.B., you know, play a little softer coverage, I mean, when both Rudolph and him out there, because Rudolph is, you know, a bit a big target. I mean, talking about a big target, Rudolph is 6'6". I mean, it's hard to, I mean, of course, most tight ends are tall, but, I mean, Having a six six tight end that runs a four seven eight forty and only twenty nine years old in the prime of his career, it's hard to find that nowadays. You know, being on the trade block, but with him being on the trade block, it's it's certainly intriguing for the Raiders because again, I, I'm I'm a big stat. I mean, I, I'm a big stat buff, and um, you know, he. They were 16th in team pass plays in um, in Oakland. You know that's out uh, 30 teams. That's they were average in the league. You know they were average in passing yards. But adding the extra weapon is going to further push up Carr to those 2017 or yeah those stats where in 20 um. In 2016, where he threw for almost 4,000 yards, 28 touchdowns, six interceptions, and had a uh, 6.7 uh, QB rating. I mean, that's that's just you know that's just intriguing to think about because to see where he was and where he is now, it's just you know just imagine where the team would be with Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, and so one of the points that you make here, too, and this is always the fun part with the Rams, watch the Super Bowl this year. The Rams had a lot of different when the New England Patriots kind of went old school, with big tight end set, started running the ball down the field. And so it's very difficult, like I said, when you have the tight ends that are both legit tight ends. One might be more of a blocker, and of course, as they were off, he's a better pass catcher, and he's a big, massive guy, so which means he can move people and run you. So when you look at this combination, you want to go with those two tight end sets and whatnot. Now it puts the defense kind of more in a bind because you put in our personnel to try to stop the run, stop them from coming downhill in us. A lot of defenses do not do well with the down. Everyone's just used to just throwing the ball around everywhere. So teams have gotten away from being able to stop downhill running and uh, that type of offense. And then if they want to start putting in a bigger package to try to stop that, you can stay in that kind of two tight end set because you have that big threat out of AB have that big threat out of Kyle now. So now you can stay in that same set without having to tip your hat that, hey, we're going to throw the ball down the field again, even though it's a big, 
I mean, this this is a uh, like you said, this is just a matchup nightmare for a lot of defenses because they can come into what looks like a run heavy set and still be throw the ball down the field. Thing with Kyle Rudolph and and with the offense, just kind of what the Patriots had did against the uh, the Rams Super Bowl was they kind of went back to an old school football where they're running downhill and they're kind of playing a little bit more power football because everyone's gotten so used to throwing the ball all over the field. And so, and this is a similar makeup kind of to what you were bringing up with the Patriots. You have like a Winfro, AB, except for having a big weapon like AB is a little bit more dangerous, but you have a nice slot receiver like Winfro. And then you have that tight end where you can run some of these double tight end sets uh, that you can do some creative stuff on. You can run downhill with the problem. So now when they have to change to a package that's going to try to stop the run more, you still have Kyle who's a crazy, you know, pass catching threat. So this way you're able to still do, you're still able to throw the ball all over the field and you're still able to make amazing downfield plays throwing the ball, even though you're in a heavy run set. So this is this is just a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams. So it's definitely a move that the Raiders should make, uh, especially after losing Derek Cook. Like you have to replace that kind of no option. No way around it. I have to do it. Yeah. And um I was just when we were when the call broke off, the I saw that um I was looking at the red zone completion. I mean <laughs> Derek Carr was one of the worst at red zone completions, ranking thirty fourth out of, you know, the thirty teams in the NFL. He's fifty one point one percent red zone completion percentage in the NFL, which is like, you know, really bad. But you you look at Kyle Rudolph's red zone receptions eight number he was seventh in the league in red zone receptions sixth in red zone targets at twenty one point four percent fifteen targets I mean you look at that and that just makes you think whoa like this dude can really help the Raiders in a lot of ways in the red zone because you know being a big red zone target at six six and being able to catch the ball with you know catching eight out of 15 targets in the red zone ranking seven i mean you, you just think about what what you can do how you can score because they scored about you know they scored like mid 40s against the browns in overtime in you know the regular season but you know that was once but you can just imagine how that can be more consistent building up to you know Another, you know, is we're saying like New England's formula and everything. You're you're seeing how. I mean, if you add Rudolph, you're being like New England 2.0 in a sense. You're being like all these successful teams with Gruden had years to study in the TV booth. You know, being there for you know a few a few years, and you know, you can you can see what they're doing. And with Rudolph, red zone. I mean. How how can you pass scoring up in the prime? Yeah. No, this is this is one of those things. You have a very specific problem. This dude is a very specific answer. You got to make it happen, right? This this is a this is a this one isn't a multivariable thing. This is a two plus two equals four. This is the problem we have. This dude answers that problem. Let's go get him, <laughs> right? Is, <laughs> don't overthink it, right? None of that stuff. Hey, management, don't overthink this. You have this issue. This dude is the, the 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 absolute solution. Statistically, he's a solution to this particular problem you have. Go get it. <laughs> Go make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely need to make you definitely need to make this happen. I mean, if 
if you don't, I mean, you're overlooking pot. I mean, of course, don't overpay for anyone. But, you know, if you need someone who can help in your area very bad, and you know they're reliable in that category, go get them, especially if they're in their prime, because that never happens for a team. I mean, you know, they got three first round, extra first round picks or two more from the Bears in that uh, trade. Go use another one of your first round picks they got from the Bears. Go trade that for Rudolph because, I mean, I mean, you know, they still command, uh, you know, still command that, but knowing that the Vikings can't, you know, afford him, you could probably get him on cheap, maybe, you know, for, I shouldn't speculate, but you could probably get him for, second or third round pick. Because, you know, Minnesota's in a no-win right now, it appears that they're in a no-win situation. Yeah, where their hands are tied, so yeah, you might as well take advantage. No, you take advantage of the situation. That's part, that's good business, right? Like Pirates of the Caribbean, just good business. So, <laughs> good business, make it happen. I'll you that. You have, you have extra commodities to go up and over what you should be able to get it for, so just in case, but it is something that is like almost like So let's go. Must see Avengers this week. Right, right. If you haven't seen it yet, that's your fault. That's a spoiler alert, right? But this is the thing <laughs> of got make it happen. <laughs> you just gotta make it happen. You have all the tools to be able to do it. Yeah. Very specific problem, very definite answer. You make that happen. Yeah, two things I'm doing in the future within the next uh, within the next month, the first two things my thing after the finals, see Endgame, and then go skydiving. <laughs> Life chances. <laughs> hopefully, I su- hopefully I survive the ladder because I'm really acrophobic. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> fair fight. <laughs> Better than me. I'm never. And... I'm never skydiving. So good luck on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, it's only from 15,000. <laughs> only. Yeah, only. You could have said 15 feet. I'm like, I said, I Oh, come on, Jake. You, you, you can sky. You can sky. Dive. It's not that bad. It ain't bad. <laughs> maybe the I fly thing. Maybe the I fly thing, but that's about it. I know real stuff. <laughs> I know family like that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sky high, how are the hotels going to be looking after that? Oh, oh yeah, I I know Hooters. They're like raising it like the prices for the draft week, eleven hundred percent to nine hundred. Like I believe it was like sixty seven dollars a night, and then the week before the draft ends, raising it up to nine hundred ninety nine dollars the week of the draft. I mean, that's that's Wait, just insane. You said Hooters and other hotels are raising it. Hooters, the hotel. And they're raising it, they're raising others. I know the Luxor, I believe, it's like, went from like 30, you know, without the resort fee to like 9, or I think it's like, you know, a couple hundred with the resort fee. You know, these these hotels are, I mean, it's highway robbery the way they're charging for the NFL draft. I mean, people are going to come like they did in Nash, what was called Nash Vegas in Nashville this past year, 600,000 people, but Still, that's that's crazy. I mean, they don't even do that for a regular event in Vegas. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on, these people need a Ford hotel. 
these prospects need to be able to afford the hotel, of course, you know. But still, come on, don't, don't raise it. People want to come. People don't want to be priced out of the market. I mean, there's Airbnbs. Yeah. But come on, how many of those are people going to stay at? They want to stay on the strip if they go to Vegas. I mean, you know that traveling scene here. That's a, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, I I stayed in the Hooters Hotel too. You know, Groupon gave me a wonderful deal <laughs> to go ahead and buy it. <laughs> one of the things I do like to do is, because I do like finding deals every time I go out, you know, being a California kid, every time I go out there, I stay at random hotels on Groupon just so I can experience what each one is like. And I can tell you right now, if I spend any hundreds of dollars to stay at the Hooters Hotel, I would highly upset. <laughs> you know what? I better get drafted in the front. I better be in the top 10 if I have to suffer through staying at Hooters and paying hundreds of dollars to stay, paying hundreds of dollars to stay there. So that is just absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, that's old school supply and demand, right? If, uh, if they know yeah. that there's going to be so many people there to go ahead and, and take advantage of that, they're just going to drive those prices up like crazy because, hey, somebody paid it, right? Or we'll, we'll get to draft, or we'll get to draft day and we'll have a whole bunch of open rooms. And those prices will drop really quick. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't get one now. I would try to see if anything is left vacant once we get closer to that date. <laughs> I know <laughs> Airbnb, that's just, yeah, Airbnb just... said, I mean, Airbnb, Laura uh, Spangy on the public policy director of Airbnb said the company helps cities like Las Vegas host even more visitors because the Airbnb community ensures fam fans and families can find affordable places to stay for the event because the listings are located outside typical hotel areas that bring business to, you know, other areas of the town, you know, and then this this is an about... interesting influx. It, I was gonna say, but that's an interesting influx of just how much um, the economy over in Vegas is already very well. We all know that. I mean, anyone that's been in this area for the last 15, 20 years, like that, like you know, everyone looks at Vegas like it's a second So making trips from here to there, and everyone's growth, not just in the strip in the east part of Vegas, but all the streets around. How Summerlin's grown, how how all these even out there by Boulder. You know, if the area no one really wants to go to out there by like Boulder Station and those areas all just keep growing and growing. And so now you're looking at the financial impact also self franchising. And like you said, just the, them being able to raise those prices like that kinda gives you like how are those eight home games when we get to the NFL season, right? What are those hotels going to be like? How much money is that now going to bring into the local area? Like you said, hey, you know, buying a house, you know, might have to buy a house out there just for Airbnb because <laughs> you, you might be able to, might be able to pay, you might be able to pay your rent just on football. Your mortgage for the year might get paid just on football season. You know, it's just, it, it just might be, you know, that much of an influx of money into the, into the city. And it's like, I mean, it's like any major event. It's, it's kind of like the reason why a lot of times any team would want to make deals with Floyd Mayweather because they knew that whenever he had a major fight like that, it just brought so, so much into the city. So like I said, now, oh, yeah. now you know, that's going to be happening at least eight times a year. Imagine a playoff, you know, imagine an AFC championship. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Imagine, imagine crazy. the 25, I mean, the 25 Super Bowl might be located in Las Vegas. And just imagine that. Oh yeah, that level of ridiculousness. Like I said, if you're if we're talking about oh, nine hundred dollars yeah. for the draft, we're gonna be talking about <laughs> Hooters for fifteen hundred dollars a night for Hooters. 
Golly, that makes you think, what's the what's the Palazzo going for? You know? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, other hotels aren't that ridiculous because, according to Booking dot com, Excalibur is charging two hundred seventy nine dollars for a room on April twenty third, compared to thirty five dollars a week prior. The Mirage is jumping from one hundred thirty nine dollars on April sixteenth to four hundred ninety nine dollars during the draft. Even South Point, which sits eight miles from the strip, has prices at two hundred nine dollars for April twenty third, a hundred sixty five percent jump from the previous week. But you know, the Mirage, I mean, five hundred dollars for the Mirage. That that's nice on Hooters. I mean, Hooters is just insane. Excalibur, you know, two hundred seventy dollars. I mean, that's that's even closer to the stadium site, and it's like you know, two hundred seventy nine dollars across the street. I mean, you know that. I mean, up from thirty-five dollars with the res. I mean, you know, of course, everyone has to pay the resort fee still, but you know, it's just you know, it to me that that's just highway robbery. I mean, come on, you want people to come out, but you don't want prices yeah. on the market. They don't even do that for the music festivals here, like the Electric Daisy Carnival and all these other yeah. big fancy, you know, festivals that we house here in Las Vegas. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's just insane. I guess we're just thinking that, you know, Hooters just thinking, you know, it's a, it's a big force thing. Have you had Hooters wings? You know, Hooters reminds you of like the ugly kid that had like the unwarranted confidence. Like, I'm talking to that girl. Like, you know, she's out of your league, right? <laughs> like, that's like, Hooters is the ugly kid hotel right now. <laughs> no unwarranted confidence. That is, that is amazing. You know, we're charging this one. You know, they look better than you, right? Like, nah, that's okay. I don't care if they're nicer than us. We're charging this one. Got it. Have you had our wings? <laughs> that's there. That's the, have you had our wings here? You understand. <laughs> they they better be really good if I'm paying a thousand dollars for my room a night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I better walk in thousand dollars a night. Better walk in. There better be two waitresses standing at the door greeting me as I come in with the plate of wings, maybe a beer. I need all that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I need I, I need all that. I don't I don't need even I don't need Yeah. I mean I'm I mean I'm and glad I, I'm glad I, I, my way I mean I'm glad I'm glad I live here so I don't have to pay that exorbitant amount. But <laughs> I mean I mean I, I mean come on. If other hotels are charging Five hundred. I mean, at least be a little more reasonable, Hooters. I mean, you you give free parking. Okay, can you do anything better than that? <laughs> the wings, man. Tell you, living on the wings. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know another Vegas top, another Las Vegas topic that you know I know you were talking about. We were when we were talking the other day. You were saying. Your teens sometimes come to Vegas, and everyone loves to travel here. You know, family, you know, friends. Everyone likes to see people play in Las Vegas whenever there's a game, whenever there's a tournament in Vegas. But um, with the, I mean, with the distractions in Las Vegas, you know, I know Mike Mayock and John Gruden said they talked to the players if there would be any distractions in Vegas, and they said no. But I mean, there's distractions to every city. I mean, even Cleveland has its own sheriff. 
distractions where I'm from. Uh, Nashville, all these cities have distractions. L.A. has distractions. I mean, you know, because I know you live somewhat near, I mean, I know you live in California, but still, you know, I, you live close enough to uh, L.A., you, you know, and there's distractions every city. I mean, but how are the distractions, how would you, how do players deal with the distractions in Vegas? Of course, you pay attention to your stuff, but it's hard to ignore a multi, being a multimillionaire, not going to a nightclub, not attending a nightclub on the strip you know, the night before. I mean, do you implement any policies yourself and how? what do you see as far as distractions go? We, we try to... Here's, here's the thing I think about being... I think that the thing that matters like, you might have a few players that end up having fun, but you're going to have your players that are... And this, this... And you can attest to this better than I can. I know my sister is up there, my mother lives up there. And what they told me is getting past that first six months. After you get past that first six months, the allure of going to the strip all the time, all the shows, kind of fade away. Uh, if you're a nightlife guy, like you said, you're kind of a nightlife guy, right? This is the situation the Giants had a couple of years ago, right? Where they're in New York, they can party all night in New York. Remember, they flew down and had that whole boat party with Odell Beckham down in Miami. Yeah. Right? Like they, they yeah. flew the. So it's not like it's not like they don't have enough money to go flying to get distracted no matter where where you are in the street. As the home team, at some point, if you're the guy that's going to be out partying and distracted, that you're going to get cut from the team. So I feel like after the first six months or so, a lot of that's going to die down for a lot of the players. It's going to kind of become over. For the advantages that you had just mentioned, but with visitors coming, I think it's going to be hard for them to avoid those because everyone has that mentality. Hey, when you're in Vegas, it's Vegas. You know what's in what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and all that. So now you got these out of town guys that might be in some of these lower cities that don't allow for you know this incredible nightlife. And I mean, all of us have at least had one issue or, or one uh not night. I want to say issue. We all had at least one fun adventure where we're inside the casinos the whole time and we walk outside and all of a sudden it's daylight. Right? You can get caught up in there and not know what time it is. It's very much set up that way. No clocks can't see the light outside you don't know what's going on until you walk outside so i think that could be a distraction for visiting teams a lot more than it's going to be a distraction for the home my my opinion maybe this first year might be the only time that it is after this first year i think we're in clear selling gotta watch the rookies yeah how do you i mean of course you coach here how do your players how do your other assistant coaches how do uh, family and friends deal deal with Vegas. I mean, how do you deal with Vegas as a coach when you bring players here? I mean, they're probably not 21, but, you know, there's still the allure of the strip. There's still family and friends who, you know, want to go down there. How do you try to limit those distractions for your players? I mean, and how would you imagine it being, you know, with the stadium, of course, being two miles away from the I mean, being a hop, skip, and jump away from the strip. Um, one of the one of the, the, the parts for us of course for the kids, like I said, not as big as not as big as the deal. The most they're gonna do is wanna go to a drink dome or walk Which isn't too bad. We try to get them not to do it on the day try to do it after the tournament or let's try to get up there a day early. So if we have a Saturday, Sunday tournament, we wanna try to get up there early on Friday to allow the kids to kinda see those things. Don't wanna have 
uh, Saturday, you know, day one of the tournament Saturday, and then you're out walking around and wearing your laces. That's kind of where we look at it. We always have to focus on, hey, this is the mission that we have. Uh, a lot of times with kids, it's okay, but we can only enforce so much because if a parent's going to take their kid out of the room, we can't quite tell the parents not to take their kids out of the room. So, you know, we try to emphasize that with the parents as well. We try to, um, we've had times where we try to get like, um, we have, you know, have team pizza parties or whatever while we're up there in the middle of the day. Or if we have got an Airbnb before up there and we've gotten where we had like a, a game system hooked up so all the kids can play Madden or whatever. So then that way their minds kind of distract this way where they're not out walking and kind of kind of wearing their energy out. But again, so we have parents. You know, some of the parents, like, that's the only reason why they go. They're not even that interested in the tournament. They're interested in having a good time up in Vegas. Uh, sometimes some of the coaches, too, sometimes uh, the coaches want to get out and have a little bit of fun. So as a coach, sometimes, you know, just getting so wrapped up in the tournament sometimes keeps you from doing that because you're too worn out. Um, sometimes, you know, depending on if you're a young guy, if you're between, if you're between 21 to 28, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, to not talk yourself and to go out there and just having a good time. So that's just the, uh, the discipline part that comes into play for those people. For like that, our crowds are a little bit different. For an NFL guy, I mean, you find your guys, you have meeting times, certain stuff that they have to do. So that's kind of how they control it, which is separate from what, like I said, the, the policies, what we can implement or how we can kind of define. Getting out there and, and getting two lives on tournament weekend, we're up there to handle business. Yeah, and I know, I know, I know, I live here, and I mean, as you said earlier, six months over. I mean, I was there once. I mean, like the first week I was here, and I'm like, or the first month, I'm like, you know, it's nothing special. I mean, it's, I drive that every day. I'm like, oh, it doesn't look that large on the outside. I'm like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically nothing. I mean, it's it's good for the economy. That's what I think of it. I'm like, okay, good, good. It's bustling. Okay, good. Economy's looking good. You know, I, I mean, to me, it's like, okay, it's another area. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful city, but it's to me, you know, I live, I work, I breathe in Las Vegas, but I don't live on the strip. You live away from the strip in little area, you know, in Summerlin and Henderson and Centennial Hills and Providence and all the Seven Hills from the Highlands, all, all those, all the whole nine yards. You live in um your separate area. You sort of you live and breathe in that area. I know OJ lives here. I mean, he doesn't I mean he does. OJ Simpson, he doesn't actually live on the strip. He lives up in uh Summerlin in the country. I mean, Summerlin, and then he, you know, he he lives. He breathes in his own little community. I mean, he probably goes down to the strip a lot, but. I mean, you don't see him out there every single day on Twitter. You don't see people posting pictures of him down there. You see him more secluded, doing his own thing in his own neighborhood, which I think, you know, sets, you know, a bar saying, hey, you don't don't have to get distracted by all this like everyone else is distracted, and you're not all this and that, you know. You sort of, you know, you live, you breathe in your own space, and it's just like a regular city outside of the strip you know the strip is just essentially where where the hub of people are i mean it's not a distraction to me at all and I, i'm hardly down there as you know local so you know it's not <laughs> it's not anything uh, necessarily special and then sort of bring it full circle the mike mayak john Gooden, they brought in leaders this year which you know will help you know i'm sure as a football coach you know that the leaders help 
in order to limit distractions, limit outside influence, limit everything around you to, you know, sort of help you focus on one thing and lead you to, like, the promised land, the Super Bowl, lead you to become a better player, a better leader, better person in the clubhouse in order for you to, you know, have your mindset on one thing. They sort of help to lead the team in that way. Anything, you know, I think that will help. I mean, that, that will help the team in Las Vegas when the team is in Las Vegas because, you know, with a lot of distractions, of course, they say it won't be a distraction, and their leaders, I think, the limit, the hub limit of distraction for others. I mean, you can speak on that on the coaching side at best. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's definitely a good voice. Leadership that the coach saw or that what the coach is allowed to give their guys that take that role. As long as they can hold them yeah. accountable and get Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's really good. It, it's, re- it's really good for a team to have that. It's, in, it's almost imperative for the team to have leaders on the team. And several of them ne- never heard, especially when they're also good ball players. And especially. You know, a lot of the hiring players on the same team, it's especially good that they also have the camaraderie together, you know, in order to, you know, help everyone as a team because, you know, they don't need to build exit. I mean, of course, you're never done doing chemistry, but it helps to, you know, be together in order to, you know, have a a certain structure, champion structure, in which case you can, other players can lean on several players and a whole group of them who, you know, are already in the little, um, you know, the little uh, group already, and you can lean on them for knowledge, for expertise, and certain areas to limit everything. Because these players have played on biggest stages in um, college football, and, you know, those stations that they had, they were limited. I, I never heard anything come out. I never heard anything publicly heard from Clemson or, you know, Alabama or any of these places, you know, that the stations were a problem for them. And that, I mean, in the way, in, in the kind of place, there already some because you do have UNF football, and if if that was the case, definitely. So, I, I know a couple of kids that they never caught well, the people want to visit. I always say, we're in Vegas, you know, we're gonna do. So that again, I think that's just a big advantage. Of course, the difference between the college players and the NFL guys, the NFL guys got money used to be distracted. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you still kind of get the, the same general, like, hey, college players to a degree have enough money that they can go out and party and stuff. And it just seems like from the ones I talked to, they didn't go out on the trip as much as you would think that they would have to right there. Yeah, I talked about UNLV. I coached UNLV for and you know they um, I also cover them and distractions aren't a problem for them at all because they you know they do their own thing they have school they have their own job to focus on and you know they they stay together and you know they hang out with each other 
but they don't necessarily go to the strip every day. It's not necessarily distracting because they have their own things to focus on to improve as a player in order to try to get to the next level from the Mountain West Conference, from UNLV, from head coach Tony Sanchez's program. So they have their own things to focus on in the strip. You know, it's not necessarily, I mean, of course they might go to the strip, but it's not a distraction for them because, you know, they're underage and then a lot of them are underage. Then you look at, um, you know, the Golden Knights here in town, the NHL team, and, you know, the players, I, I see them around, you know, in my, in my neck of the woods, on, you know, the west side, and it's, you know, they're, they're just regular people, you know, it's not like, you know, they go down the strip, they don't party, they, you know, the distractions are somewhat, you know, other teams I know have somewhat gotten caught up in it, but, and winning in Vegas, but winning, but on a distraction-only level basis, you know, as I said, I live on my part of town, they live in their part of town. And, you know, as simple as that. But, you know, be- before we uh, close out, I mean, do you, have, do you have any last words about, you know, the Raiders uh, in- in- move to Vegas because the state, the trusses are being put up. They have, I believe, 22 more. They're, you know, about 20 more. They put about one a day. And it's most, you know, the w- hardest part, the worst part, you know, of the stadium project to be put up, but in Vegas, you know, the stadium is getting done, and it's supposed to be done the same year as LA. A year from now, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, very close to being done. You know, they'll put they'll put the finishing touches on in order to open a couple weeks before the first preseason game, and everything. It's it's really coming along nicely. Do you have any last words? Yeah, I just really hope that. Oh, I really wish that we had like a fast sports <laughs> Bam, make it happen. Uh, kind of like that old, that old Bruce Almighty. Like if we had the remote control, we could just press the speed up button on the stadium and just get it done. Uh, that would be awesome. Like I said, just so excited about it. Ever since they announced it, looking at the concept art for it and everything, like I just can't wait. Like just, just, you know, you're already in the city of spectacle and you're just adding another giant monument to the city of spectacle. It's just going to be I. Very much looking forward to it, and I just wish we had a fast forward button to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I see it. I'm like, boy, this is being unfast. I mean, before I moved here, I thought, yeah, I, a team in Las Vegas. Las Vegas needs a team. I'm like, it can't support a team. And looking here, everyone loves sports, and they want a team, and they too can't wait for you to get done. A lot of them say, that I talk to, like, yeah, I'll be a fan of the Raiders, but I'm still going to keep my team. Whether it be the Bears, whether it be, you know, uh, the Lions, or whether it be, you know, another team like the Rams or something, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll keep them. But, you know, when they've seen an AFC team, they're like, oh, yeah, it could be my AFC team. Oh, yeah, it's, it could be my second team because a lot of them people that move here are from elsewhere, and it will definitely help them out. I mean, it will definitely, you know, help the Raiders out by having a talent. And they always, they had presented Top Golf for the second straight year in a row. And they have a lot of events around the city already here. As I said last week on podcast, uh, when Rocco was on, and this, um, this, 
stadium, this team is already inbred in the community, and it's just you know, amazing to see. You know, I asked your team in Vegas is for the longest time, the NFL was boycotting Vegas in a sense. Yeah, they're worried about the fans. But like I said, the, the thing is, transmit city, just like how LA is. But the thing that that this always holds true, old school cliche type of statement: everybody loves a winner. And um, before, I mean, before we uh, exit here, I'd, I'd, I would just like to, you know, give some notes to uh, former coach, former defensive backs coach from 71 to 77, and former linebackers coach of the Raiders, uh, Bob Zeman, who recently passed away on May 3rd of this year at, at the age of 82. He won Super Bowl uh, XI with the Raiders, um, you know, when he coached with him as a defensive backs coach. I just would like to, you know, he, as far as I know, he was well-respected in the organization, and I just like to give a big shout-out to his family and send my condolences their way and to the Raiders organization and everything because, as from what I've heard, he was a very, a very good, Guy within the organization in the time that he was there. But yeah, um, do do you want do you have any final words on uh, Bob Zeman at all? Yeah, rest his soul. Yeah, and so yeah, this has been uh, Alan Sotel with uh. And um, Jake, Jacob, um, thank you, thank you, Jake, for hopping on uh, Spin Silver and Black on the Silver and Black Five Podcast Network on SB Nation uh, this this week with me. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Hope to talk to you guys again. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, this this week with me. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Hope to talk to you guys again. Oh, yeah. Thank you. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Spit in Silver and Black on the Silver Black Pride Podcast Network on SB Nation. Mm-hmm.